0: so hard, oh, my trouble so hard. Welcome to the Radical Reverend Show and thank you all during our last week of fundraising for being so generous. Thank you for that and keeping us all on the air, so important. Uh, CIUT 89.5 FM, as you know, is the last and only alternative radio station left in Toronto, so this is all very important um i'm of course uh taping this on zoom and behind me uh we didn't speak about this before the show started but is uh, a shot of me in 1971 i really am as old as dirt um, when I used to ha- be a brunette. And I was noticing the t shirt there, which is, you know, the old symbol of women's liberation, which is a fist, you know. Um, and so we're talking about feminism 2020 today. Uh, and I'm talking to two incredible women journos, uh, Nora Loretto and authors, and Andrea Houston. So welcome to the Radical Reverend Show, both of you. Uh, and I want to talk to Nora first about her new book, Take Back the Fight which I gather is kind of a play on Take Back the Night, um, which is out there. Uh, And and just this look at feminism, because like who's looking at feminism these days? I mean, partly it's just that um, that really got me interested in it. And uh, partly because um, we've been kind of ground down a little bit and there doesn't seem to be a lot of action. And I remember back to the seventies and you know, when the kind of the second wave which it wasn't a pandemic then which wasn't feminism, <laughs> um, you know, was really strident. And I remember being in demonstrations on the streets you know, dressed as a doctor, you know and the two great demands back then were control over our own bodies. Because you know the fight for a freedom of choice was in full swing, and also the other incredible uh, and big demand, which is you know lagging except for in Quebec, was for universal free childcare. Because we recognize that without those two, there would be no women's liberation. Right, which is um, I also remember some of the you know like the negatives of the movement. Uh, because as a queer woman, I at that point I was involved in a Marxist organization, and we were told that we could demonstrate, but we should wear dresses so that. people didn't mistake us for being dykes i remember that so that's on the left (laughs) from that same era um yeah and also consciousness raising the sort of maoist thing that happened in the women's movement back then which was you know we'd all get together living in this woman's co-op commune and, and we'd all get together and again because i was a queer woman that was not acceptable back then so i wanted to talk to Nora about that you know the fact that yes not only was the movement of course racist let's just say it but it was also queer phobic um in all its iterations and and i was told that i could be part of the consciousness raising group because i was male identified because i had a woman lover at that time remember that really well so um, wow. with that introduction <laughs> we'll talk about where we're at right now so um yeah uh, so tell us about the book Nora, in your own words and um you know i i one of the themes that i picked up um is you know that You know, we can't just do it all online. Like, where is the organizing, the grassroots organizing, and where is that kind of energy um, that really, um, you know, shakes up not only patriarchy, but neoliberalism and shakes up our current political order because we're never going to have women's liberation unless we deal with that. And we deal with, as you say in the book, colonialism and racism. So take it away. Yeah.
1: Um, it, it was a really interesting experience to write this book because I don't come from the like feminist organizing in terms of that being my priority or my anchoring in social movement organizing. I, I came from the student movement, which of course was very inspired by feminist uh, action, and feminist organizing, but I was very adjacent to it and then I never studied this stuff. I mean, I went to Ryerson where you don't study. I mean, any any theory at all, which is probably part of the reason we've got the media landscape that we have today. But anyway, Um, and so uh, I wanted to take a look at what feminism uh, looked like in those radical days uh, and what kind of fights it really did take to win some of the social programs that we consider to be a given right? That that there are people today still fighting uh, to keep maternity leave or parental leave or uh, expand it uh, or, you know, that we have a feminist prime minister uh, suggesting that that word is is meaningless (laughs) almost, Um, but then also give some of the ideas for what that could look like. What what could that radical action look like that that was so successful uh, decades ago? What could that look like today? And so I kind of had to walk this interesting line between, you know, of course there's feminist action, there's feminist activists. Feminism has never gone away. Um, Some of the most exciting activism that's happening right now is feminist. You know, Black Lives Matter is is very obviously a feminist organization. and so, I'm, you know, at on one hand, I'm not telling people who are doing this work how to do this work because the work is happening and it's really wonderful. But on the other hand, there's a ton of people who've never really learned about any of this history that don't understand that maternity leave was not just handed to uh, to parents um, like from a benevolent leader or whatever. That it actually did take breaking the law, civil disobedience, really intense fights, really intense activism in the streets, and the problem, I think, is is the way that feminism has been co-opted by power um, that you know, power has used feminist language, feminist logic to maintain and entrench itself in anti-feminist ways is really confusing. Like, if you don't know uh, about the radical history of where these programs ca- came from, then you might actually think that, oh, you know, Me Too has been a success because I told my story. Right that that's the really bizarre thing about where feminism is today is that it's all been reduced to speaking out, naming your abuser, naming your abuse, speaking out, let's end stigma. And it's like, that's all really important, but that's like kind of like the, the first step, right? You name your, your issue, your problem, and then you can start taking action from there. And and I, I keep seeing a lot of confusion from, from people who are feminists and who are trying to figure out how to do, to take feminist action not really knowing how to do it. And so the book tries to explain what does a social movement look like? In some cases it's funny because you can actually sub feminism out in a lot of the parts of the book and put the anti-war movement or the climate justice movement or whatever. Uh, And, and what does it look like when we're actually confronting power or what does it look like when, when power has co-opted our demands and is confronting us?
0: Yeah. And, and so conclusions, like what what do you suggest? I mean obviously more has to be done and I, I think about you know the the struggle which was like all-encompassing back in the day. I mean I I remember one instance of um, City Hall, we wanted to do a um, demonstration for International Women's Day in Nathan Phillips Square and uh, they were gonna charge us. And yet they were gonna give Miss the Miss Toronto pageant <laughs> the, the square for free. So we, <laughs> so a bunch of us dressed up in like 19th century, we rented like 19th century women's outfits and like stood up and you know screamed out at City Hall and got dragged away. And I still have a picture of me like with one arm, like the cops um uh, so I mean it, like there was a lot of fervor like there was a lot of passion and there was a lot of excitement about it and I, I to me part of the problem when I look at my contemporaries now um with you know huge profiles people like Jermaine Greer in the UK um who are now um and and I you know I don't want to mention names here in Canada but there were a number of leftist feminists uh, who, for example, uh, supported the firing of a trans women in women's shelters. And that uh, went hand in hand. So transphobia has always been this kind of undercurrent that some got over and some succumbed to, and now has become an international, you know, when, when some people think of feminists, now they think of transphobes, you know? Um, so say something about that, because um, that, uh, I mean, that's what makes, us uncomfortable with you know in the same way we kind of define ourselves as other things and we then have to explain mm-hmm. away all the negatives. Um, what about that?
1: That that is such an interesting part of where feminism is today. And I talk about uh, what I call fascists, right? I think that it's a it's a fascist approach to to aggressively police the gender binary, right? That's, that's just another form of control of state control of totalitarian control. Um, but I don't get too far into it. I think that that really is a subject that someone needs to, to tackle where where this movement came from in terms of how strong it became. But what what I write about in the book is how there were always tensions, you talked about those tensions between uh, queer women and not queer women, straight women uh, in the, in the, in the women, women's movement. There's also tensions, obviously, uh, between um, queer women, especially who didn't didn't want to see the medical establishment be imposed in their politics and their lives, whereas for trans women the medical establishment was actually really important because you would only you can only pass through the medical establishment if you're able to have the like the doctors decide if you were ready or worthy or whatever to have uh, to be able to express your gender, um, and so I quote a, a couple of people who talk about that phenomenon. And so there are very big debates in the 1970s. And these two kind of different tracks move in different directions, though obviously, you know, forward through time. And the AIDS crisis in the 1980s really destroyed, uh, obviously, lots of queer organizing, queer thinking and and, and debates. One of the more interesting analyses that I saw was from a writer who was trying to understand where the the fascist tendency comes from, uh, or why is it so strong in, in the United Kingdom? Because I think it really is important for Canadian feminists to... Acknowledge and kind of like celebrate the fact that that turf fascism is far more uh uh present on the right, like that's far more uh, uh, uh transphobia is 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 far more present on the right than it is on the left in Canada, whereas uh in the like so called feminist leftist spaces in the United Kingdom and Australia and parts of the United States, um, it's it's really really strong. And one analysis I saw was that it was chalked up to the fact that there hadn't been really any other civil rights organizing and and actions within the United Kingdom that allowed middle class white women to really jump into their like vulva owning as some sort of expression of their politics. Whereas in North America, there really were like, you know, radical black feminist, queer feminist activists who really shaped what feminism looked like. And it didn't really create this, this space where people could latch on to this turf fascist mentality uh, it, with this with the notable exception of the Vancouver rape relief which is like the one shelter in Canada that is like the bastion of turf turf ter- mentality for, for 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 well for for the reason that I that I explained also because people are finding celebrity with it you can make money off of it there's like a there's like a capitalist side to why this is also kind of a successful um, a successful movement but in, in Canada as they say like we should be proud as feminists that that by and large, national feminist organizations funded by the government, not that radical, will clearly and openly express that they are trans inclusive. All women are women. They they acknowledge non non binary identity and non- and the need for non uh, support for non binary individuals. And so that's a really good kind of location for Canadian feminists to start organizing from and then that also means though when we see something like Jordan Peterson who's obviously not a feminist who's obviously coming from the right wing radicalizing people around questions of gender that feminists absolutely need to be intervening in this and and it, and it was trans activists and queer activists who from the start were the only ones saying hey, what's happening with this guy at the University of Toronto is a massive problem and it's going to get worse. And way too many people on the left either didn't like understand or didn't engage or ignored or whatever. But, um, but it is important is to, to note that the far right uses gender as one of its really important um, uh, locations to kind of spew their garbage everywhere else. And I, and I do talk about this as well, that that one of the failures of the feminist movement in Canada and, and probably around the world is that feminists should be like the front lines of fighting the far right. Feminists should be the the ones on the front lines who are confronting far right activists in the street, and we're not. We're really not. And without those movements, what happens is that you might have some people who are able to kind of put their voice forward and say, "I'm going to take on the far right. I'm going to take on these racists. I'm going to take on these violent." Uh, these violent characters, and then there's no support network to support that person when they get swarmed, attacked, suspended from Twitter, harassed, and receive death threats. And so one of my chapters talks about what does leadership give us with social movements? And not leadership like, I'm the leader and you will follow me, but how the far right and religious right and all these kinds of groups have a leader machine, whether it's for the anti-abortion movement, whether it's for evangelical, far right... uh, well, evangelizing they have a a, a a network of people to teach you how to talk to do public speaking in church basements to do public speaking within private schools they they put people forward and they t- and they train them to be leaders and we totally totally lack that on the left because there just isn't any enough organized spaces to do that kind of important training
0: uh, speaking here on the Radical Reverend Show to Nora Loretto uh, about her new book, uh, Take Back the Fight, and we're talking about feminism 2020. And and Nora, you mentioned, I mean, it, it, you know, one of the rallying cries back in the day and still should be is the personal is political. Um, and you certainly experienced that. And I want you to talk a little bit about Humboldt and what <laughs> that word means to you and how you know you firsthand experienced what. Well, let's face it, a lot of women go through. But talk about that
1: yeah yeah so almost three years ago now um i I posted something very innocuous and was in the context of talking about violence against uh against women um so by uh the start of april 2018 in southern ontario alone southern ontario north bay and south uh 15 women and their family members had been murdered by uh someone who was known to them close to them or had been a partner so 15, 15 people. That included ch- children. That included a, a mother. That in- ch- included a, son, a brother of uh, of um of someone uh, in a in a violent relationship. And so when the crash happened in Humboldt, um, at the, initially of course, fifteen people died. There was a sixteenth death um, a couple of days later, and. I was saying like, you know, it's wild. 15 people die in this case, 15 people have died over three months from, from, from domestic violence. And, and one has resulted in this incredible national, you know, memorializing, like Air Canada's collecting money on their flights. And the other is just normal. It's like, yeah, it's normal that women are going to get killed by people uh, that they know. And, um, and so, you know, I, I wrote a series of tweets. And of course, uh, the tweet that went the most famous was saying like, obviously the, the, the role that systemic racism, systemic misogyny um ageism uh plays a big role in in why there's so much more money being raised for for what was a, a horrible tragedy that that took the lives of so many young uh, son, young men and, and one woman and uh yeah and the response was obviously like over the top and and uh um the 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 far right in this country you know anchored by folks like adrian batra and um Jason Kenney, I mean, Sarah Palin weighed in, uh, just created this in- intense, like, amount of hatred that I got, where I was getting, like, a message every eight seconds. Like, I was at the dentist's office the first day of it, and my dentist was like, oh my god, is there an emergency? What's going on in your purse? And I was like, oh, I'm not sure I can explain this to you. It's a little bit weird. Uh, it won't make sense. Um, and so, yeah, it and was, it was really intense, and, you know, McLean's made this great statement, which they never do. I got to go through all their statements and be like, oh, I'm like the only one where they announced to the world. I had never worked for them or, or anything because they were getting a lot of phone calls. Um, I know a lot of friends of mine that got lots of phone calls to the Globe Mail because I had just written for the Globe and Mail. Um, and yeah, and it just, um, it was pretty brutal. And there were death threats for sure, like a whole lot of them. And, um, and I don't know, it, 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 and it really kind of took a huge punch. I was punching, I was a punching bag and my career took a little bit of a hit. Um, but it was interesting to just see how, in Canada, how intensely we hold on to whiteness uh, as being um, really important to protect, right? That if anybody is going to attack the status quo or, or, or white supremacist status quo in this country, you absolutely need to silence them. And you silence them through these tactics, through scaring them, through threatening and all those kind of thing. And so, you know, a lot of people have, have, like, I haven't talked much about it to the mainstream media. It's not too surprising that no one has been that interested in, like, what happened. It's basically Canada's Gamergate, right? (laughs) Like, there hasn't really been that many uh, intense kind of social media swarms, of course, on something so fundamental as hockey culture, white culture um, in in Canada. But um, I didn't write much about it in the book because I probably will write about it at some point someday. Um, But I do think it's important. to think about through a feminist lens, because uh, you know we still see these issues that feminists have been fighting for for decades, uh, they're still here in Canada, right? Violence against women, uh, violence against white women has gone down, right? Like one of the biggest changes to the law that made violence um, go down in this country uh, was to, to allow women to, to divorce their, their husbands, right? Which, which had a huge impact on what? Husbands being murdered. Right. So, hey, men, you can thank us for that. Right. Thank you. Like, that's what feminism has won is, is a massive reduction in how many women are killing their husbands because they can leave. So, that is a huge victory. But if you look at, at, at murder today, uh, what's going up? What's, what's worse? It's, it's racialized women, especially indigenous women, where the murder rates are increasing every year and have been on a, on a, on a steady increase for, for three decades. And so, you know, when we start to talk about how systemic misogyny and patriarchy and, and gendered violence impacts people uh we have to then talk about these really bigger issues like colonialism like racism like like the suprema- like white supremacy and the supremacy of, of of white male youth in this country and you know what i said on twitter was really basic i mean most people were like yeah i said the exact same thing i can't believe it happened to you um, but it was because um, they, they always look for a certain moment and a certain person to, to make famous for a week, and I was that person for the week. And it sent a very strong message to people to say, like, don't even consider questioning our national myths because you too will receive uh, the wrath of, uh, you know, a million suns.
0: Yeah. Uh, speaking to Nora, uh, Nora Loretto about her book Take Back the Fight and uh, also about Feminism 2020, that's really the topic of the day on the Radical Reverend Show here. Um, and, and as you were speaking, Nora, and I want to open this up now to Andrew Houston, our other journalist as well, who's part of the mix uh, today, um, I, I immediately thought, of course, of the backlash, uh, the male backlash. So what we didn't foresee at all um, back in the day was uh, not only that you know some of our women friends would you know take the transphobic route and racist route, but also that um that men would fight back and and you experienced that backlash um uh, out, out outrageously so. I mean, obviously, violence against women, you know, it's, we're not we're not touching it, and and clearly governments don't care. Um, and I saw that firsthand in political life; they don't care. Uh, it's police don't care. Nobody cares. Um, and uh, got it. Uh, and women die constantly. I mean, a woman just was murdered yesterday in Toronto, for example, by her ex-boyfriend you know and it's like ho-hum is the response I have to say from authorities um so but but you know the backlash from men and the Jordan Peterson phenomena these young white boys let's put it let's name them because I've seen them because I've been out to those demonstrations and we've seen them and we've seen also since the trial was going on in Toronto how dangerous that kind of incel mentality and that young male um voice and presence can be. Um, uh, and, and I guess the question to me, you know, is like, what? Like, weren't we changing things in schools? Like where did these guys come from? You know? Like, didn't they learn from their own families witnessing this with their own parents? And it, isn't it getting better? Why isn't it getting better? So I'm going to throw this to you, Andrew. Why isn't, why isn't that marker, violence against women, getting better? Um, and why is there a whole new breed of misogynists, you know, um, that are kind of filling their father's ranks? Like, what's happening? Yeah
2: uh, I, I mean we these things happen in uh in cycles uh, I've heard so many times from people saying you know it, once this age once this group of men group of people get older we'll we'll have you know just progressive and lefty people left and their kids and we're just seen that that's not the case um you know many of the the young you know pro trumpers many of the young incel people that we see online the people who attack nora the people who have attacked many women who are very online um i mean I, I i've had death threats every every woman i know who's who's been on who's been on twitter and and Who's online has had death threats and rape threats, and I've been I've been I've been told that I should ha- get AIDS at some point because of the things that I say on Twitter. Like it's just it's it's rampant. Um, so it's not an age thing. I mean, the majority of the people who have tweeted at me are young men, are young white men, people who are younger than me, people who would be my students. Um, so I, I I think that you know a lot of it is the temptation of ideology. You know, people latching on, as Nora said, to uh, you know new ideology that are that is it's very tempting uh f, you know they go in these youtube rabbit holes and and the indoctrination is is pretty fierce um there's been articles written of, of journalists who have you know attempted to just see what happens you know what one click leads to another and eventually you've got you know this nazi video and and, and it's so easy for that to happen so i i think part of it is that i think there's a vacuum in education as well um you know they the, the, as Nora mentioned, um, there's there's very little background and very little history and connections made to basic civics. You know how government works. What's a lobbyist? You know things like the basics that you need to be able to make these connections and understand the systems of power that either promote human rights or resist human rights. Um, and and what res, what respect of a human being means. What dignity of what what does a person by by the sheer fact that they're human deserve. Um, what are those? What are those fundamental human rights? It's amazing to me. And it amazed me every year that I was teaching at Ryerson how little people know. Journalists, these are young journalists, and how little they know about these things. And so I think a lot of it comes from that. I think that you know there's this vacuum of education that we really desperately need to fill.
0: I mean, I always uh, go to you know who who does it serve. I mean, who does uh, who benefits from misogyny, who benefits from racism? I I, I to me it, it sort of comes back to the kind of the same place, you know, and um uh you know, the word neoliberalism's in the air, but it should be. Um so we're looking at, as you said, Nora, uh, a, a feminist, quotes unquotes uh prime minister and uh the Me Too movement, which kind of just, I mean, it's kind of just dissipated, and um, and sadly. I'm not hearing a change in the justice system coming out of it. I'm not seeing uh, women safer on the streets or in their homes coming out of it. Um it was kind of a cathartic moment that that kind of passed. I, I and personally, the uprising that we've seen on our streets, a uh, black lives matter, which which has affected, everyone um and, and you know my hope is that that same thing doesn't happen there but I mean obviously there are forces that want that same thing to happen we'll give it some air for a little while and then everybody will just go home and be nice to each other after that right um so who does it serve Nora like who's who's behind all of this not yeah. to get conspiratorial about it <laughs>
1: Well, I think actually that the answer to that question goes back to something Andrea was just talking about, which is where, where does this come from? And so I agree that the, the two factors that, that, that she, she mentioned is, are, are where, where this incel mentality comes from. But you know we can't also forget, as you said, uh, Sherry, that there's this thing called neoliberalism, right? And so if we think that the generations are just gonna get better, right? Boys will just grow up and they'll just be better. Their dads will become dead and that'll be good um, you know, relax, everybody listening. I don't literally mean that. Um, that, uh, that it's just, that's just progress, right? We just live in this world that we're, we're on a steady arc of progress, right. Which is like a complete lie, a complete lie. And I've been saying this for a decade, but it's very interesting because when I would say this, like, I uh, like eight years ago or, or 10 years ago, I'd be like, no, no, things are totally getting better. Whereas now people really can see that things have not been getting better. And so, you know, the, 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 the incel phenomenon is directly tied to the social conditions right there's a lot of reasons why why a young man might fall through the cracks might find that they've just been abused by the universe they can't get ahead they can't get hired they're not talented enough right I think of a guy that I went to school with who was all mad that he couldn't become a cop in Peel because he only spoke one language and it's like yeah it's called being qualified dude like sorry right uh, I mean I, whatever, I don't know how qualified you have to be for to be a cop, but you know, I whatever. Um, so like, but there, there are material conditions that lead to people to to like to antisocial behavior. That is how society works. And if we have antisocial behavior in a society, we have to look at what has caused it. And then the question becomes well, if we know that causes it, lots of lots of debt, disenfranchisement, um a lack of social services, right? The number of young men who sent me extremely violent things that I would send to their employer, to their parents. And I would send them in the, in the in a way not to like, why don't you fire this person, and make me even more angry? I would say, hey, um, this guy says he's gonna drive here and kill me. Like, should I be worried or is this just something this guy says, right? I sent that to a whole bunch of employers and parents. And, and the parents, the responses were the, were the most pathetic, to be frank. Um, like pathetic on one end that they were being pathetic about it, but pathetic on the other in that our system just cannot help these people. And so one mom was like, oh, as you can imagine, um, yeah, we've got a lot of problems with him. Uh, don't know what to do. Don't know how to save my son. Right. You look at Alexandre Bissonnette, who is the, the murder of the Quebec City massacre in 2017. Right. And so Bissonnette was on like on a work stoppage for severe depression. He had been severely depressed for almost a decade. He had been imagining taking out a mass killing since Columbine when he was 16, right? Like just like super embedded. And then his parents never thought, maybe this guy should not have his guns. Maybe we should take his guns away from him, right? Like, and he was like, basically, he wasn't living with his parents, but he was there all the time. And so then, so then you're like, okay, so what are the social supports that, that we, what we offer parents who have these problems appearing in their, in their, in their children, especially in their sons? Is there a social program that you can be like, take my son and teach him how to do something like cook. Like he just needs to get out of the house and not be on YouTube in this, in this rabbit hole. Or is there, are, are there any kinds of free programs or supports that we're were, no, there is literally nothing. The only solution is a mental health based solution, which is not even adequate right? So maybe you can get your kid into a mental health hospital, hospital, maybe there's medication that they can take, maybe, probably not, probably you'll be on a waiting list and that will be a complete dead end as well. And then there's nothing else. So so we completely um, made this all about mental health. I think mental health is a big part of the, of the, the problem, but it, mental health does not exist in a vacuum. It's all exacerbated by our society. And so who does it serve to have these dangerous antisocial lone wolf uh, individuals? I've written about this before. It serves A state that wants to police us more and keep us in fear. Because it is fascist violence to have all of these lone wolf, disaffected young men who want to kill women, who want to kill Muslims, who want to kill homeless people. Like all of these things that we've seen in the last couple of years, that serves the state. Even if the the liberals are completely horrified by it, they can't believe it. We're going to have a secretariat. We're going to do an anti hate thing as if it's going to do anything. But no, but that's who it serves. It keeps us all terrorized it's a terrorist act like a tactic to keep us afraid and i think that that fear is really real like i know a lot of people who are terrified that someone is going to come and kill them for something that they've said online
2: keeping people scared is critically important in a capitalist society
1: exactly and and so as things as we have the internet and you can find out that maybe break and enters can't be scary right or aren't that because they don't really happen all that often then they make us scared about people who use drugs they make us scared about people who don't have homes they make us scared about in this case the men who say that they're going to come and kill you right and so it, it is so multifactored the problems which means that the solution has to be multifactored. It's not gonna be a hashtag. It's not even gonna be like many hashtags, <laughs> right? It has to be radical action and radical confrontation in the streets. It has to scare the politicians. The politicians need to feel as afraid as we do. And then rather than make it be like, oh, Catherine McKenna's got death threats, but don't worry, she's got security. It's like, good for her. Like, what does that feel like? And that's not a solution, right? Um, And, and it's getting worse, Sherry, as you said, you, you've seen the inside of politics. Like we cannot expect people to go into politics, women, racialized people to go into politics and not expect to have this violence towards them, which is a self-fulfilling prophecy, then fewer and fewer people get involved. And so, yeah, like the, the, the tried and true methods of social change, social activism, walking streets, civil disobedience, occupying spaces, I mean right today we're recording on Friday, uh, in Ottawa there's been a Black Lives Matter protest that took over a downtown intersection in support of Abdi Rahman Abdi which was, was was a young man who was killed by the Ottawa police. This is the kind of thing that needs, to, that needs to happen to make change and then we have to figure out how do we then allow people to plug in at their level of comfort because not everyone is going to be comfortable or can do kind of the radical action and there's a whole whole lot of other actions that we need to take at the same time. So, how do we create that space to allow people to come together, have that diversity of tactics that activists have talked about forever, uh, to to really scare politicians?
0: And here, I I know we're all uh, union folk. Um, uh, Here, I would kind of send a a soft law bow to union leadership and. You read my mind. (laughs)
2: <laughs> clearly here in
0: Ontario, um, uh, you know, like, where is the general strike? In what circumstance could it be any worse Thank than you. right now uh, in calling for a general strike? But I want to, I wanna, we're talking feminism. I want to, like, keep on topic because we could talk all day. Um, so Feminism 2020. Uh, Andrea, I want to throw this one to you because I know we've all also had experience of this. And my experience in nonprofits and in the political world is that it's not just men that are, the are, you know, are the carriers of misogyny. It's the women who defend them. It's the women who carry this on. It's the women who say they're sisters and then don't act like sisters, you know, um, who benefit from the system often or think they do or hope they do. Um, and, and so I want to talk about that lack of, you know, um, well, yeah, you know, the old slogan, sisterhood is powerful. Not so much some days. So talk about that, Andrea.
2: I mean, for me, for in my experience uh, working in journalism, in politics, in nonprofits, I mean, it always comes back to capitalism. I'm, I mean, women will, uh, you know, anytime that women have, you know, not supported other women anytime there has not been um, movement building or you know um, solidarity. Um, it's usually because there is some capitalist or neoliberal intervention. You certainly see that in the nonprofit world. You know, anytime anybody speaks up, well, maybe we shouldn't accept this donation from this huge fracking company. It's probably maybe. Goes against our values. You know, you will see um, a ganging up uh, against you, um, and and because nonprofits largely are comp- uh, comprised of women, um, you will. I, I experience that quite a lot. That you know, you are you know costing lives if you don't accept this donation, and then you become the outlier, um, and that happens everywhere. That like women, ha- you know, the women who do stand up and do express solidarity with a cause or with other women are often sidelined. Um, you know, in in a in a in this capitalist neoliberal society that we live in, the working class. You know, the, the reason why we've seen this fragmentation is because working class people are not coming together, and and you know. In, it's much more polarized in the states because they all have that two party system. Um, and so you're, you're forcing progressives all to sort of come underneath the, the democratic umbrella. But, you know, even when we saw, you know, Bernie Sanders and, and now we see AOC, you know, anytime they sort of step outside this, you know, this 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 very defined line that you're allowed to speak <laughs> into, you know, they they experience much of the same, you know, bullying and abuse from the left, <laughs> you know, that, that Nora has been talking about, you know, this, you know, you, you you can you can walk a line through you know the, the the Clinton you know Obama you know umbrella and be perfectly fine and not see any of this hate. But as soon as you step outside that, um, and I think that that's what what women experience, you know. And 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 if you're experiencing this online as a man, you know, welcome to, welcome to what women experience all the time. <laughs> Um, but you know, I think it. I think it always comes back to to a fragmentation of the working class, a fragmentation of people in poverty not coming together. You mentioned um, a general strike. You know, the, the people in power, the state, you know, are doing everything they can to prevent this from happening. Because once this does, if this happens, um, if if you know, working class people do come together and, deci- and decide to withhold their labor. Society will shut down. Um, I mean, during the during the COVID nineteen crisis, working people have never had more bargaining power and power uh, behind them, and yet they're still holding back. You know, we still see big corporation grocery companies and, and big big box stores and, and actually taking away people's pandemic pay. Why isn't there an uprising about this? Why aren't people more pissed off? This should have resulted in in mass solidarity. And we just didn't see any of that. You know, people are like, okay, whatever, I'll go get my groceries. Um stay stay six feet back, you know, and instead we're yelling at each other because we're not wearing masks or, you know, because you know somebody you know coughed and to too, too Close to the oranges, I, I just think that you know we're, we're losing sight of the big picture, uh, and solidarity is is really what we're missing.
0: We're talking about feminism here on the Radical Reverend show. We've got Nora Loretto, a uh, journalist who's just written a book, Take Back the Fight, You Should Buy It. And she'll t- give us the how-tos at the end of the show. And Andrea Houston, a journalist as well, and uh, a political person from way back. Um, I, I want to bring it home, essentially, again, um, to, uh, like, Nora, you and I are parents, okay? So my kids are adults now. And I have to say that there is nothing more kind of heartbreaking than seeing your children grow Grow up in in a a system that you fought your entire life against Mm. um, and still be affected by it. Um, And that is happening, that happens to parents right across the board, right? Like you watch this happening um, from these cultural and political influences on these kids. Um, And I'll give you a couple of examples in my instance. I mean, my like I both my kids, of course, like all parents will say about the kids are incredible, right? Like we all love our kids are great. Um, but my son, you know, like when I look at the women that he's, you know, cisgendered, uh, heterosexual, when I see the women that have been involved in his life, I, they're incredible women, these incredible women. When I see the men in my daughter's life, not so much. And really what you're looking <laughs> at is, is uh, and, and, you know, I'm thinking, but like in many ways, like she, just even in the capital spectrum, she is like a hotter commodity than he is, but like all the, like what is going on? And, and the other small, you know, Personalist political story I'll tell you is just sitting in a board meeting and we had a new member, you know, like young, you know, kind of with it, you know, lefty. Um, I said, so what did you think? And, and and what he said was, I saw you saying things and then everybody going like, mm, and then um, as soon as what you said was voiced in a different way by a man, everybody said, oh, that's a great idea. This is still happening in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces. What the hell, Nora? Way in, and then Andrea.
1: <laughs> it's it, yeah. Uh, I, I, I just wanted to start with uh, mentioning. Um, you know why why are sometimes women the biggest uh, harbingers of, of patriarchy? I think that this is where we absolutely need to go back to queer black feminist theory, uh, and and uh, trans liberation uh, trans theory. It, like it, we are not a united class because of our gender, right? Like period. We are, as Andrea says, capitalism plays a far bigger role than the fact that the three of us are women, right? Like that—that that is not a uniting factor. Um, there are forces that make us have certain common experiences, but our, 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 our you know—the race, financial situation, ability, like all of these things are, are much more important. And so, obviously, yes, that's that's going to divide a, a women, and that's going to make some women uh, uh, terrible, (laughs) quite frankly. And there's, there's a clown's parade of terrible women in Ottawa, if anyone wants to check that (laughs) out. Um, and yeah, so why, why are we still, uh, dealing with the same old stuff? I, you know, it's because things haven't gotten better. And in fact, things have gotten worse. That's why. And the, the one thing that I do have a lot of hope for is that, as there's new and emerging kinds of forms of media, right? Media plays a huge role in all of this too, because there's just no diversity of thought in, in, in media. Right. I mean, it's like, like they're dancing on the head of the, of the pin and that pin is like been launched into the far right. right? And that's the kind of level of conversation where we can expect from the mainstream media. And so one of the interesting things that I found doing Sandy and Nora, the podcast that I co-host with Sandy Hudson is the number of young men who are in touch with us is, is quite impressive. There's a lot of young men whose political awakening is happening through alternative media. Um, the problem of course is that there's just not enough alternative media, right? There's just, there's just not enough, there's not enough progressive uh, uh, uh orientations looking at young men uh and i think a lot about and uh, sherry i don't know if this is a rumor or maybe you'll have more insight than i do with the ndp but i heard that like you know when you're when you're door knocking sometimes if a man enters the door you're just like oh is uh, the woman of the house home and, and they're not home and you're like okay cool see you later <laughs> right and so there was this like targeted like mentality of like the, the woman's gonna be okay right um, in, in Quebec, there's this funny phenomenon where anyone who I would avoid talking to in Toronto if I was streeting for, um, you know, the minimum wage, let's say, uh, is actually like my biggest ally in Quebec, because they come from a generation, the older folks come from a generation, we like, of course, the minimum wage should be 40 bucks, what the heck, whereas younger people are like, I'll, I'll work for nothing, I'm damaged for some reason by capitalism, right, and you're like, okay, um, but, but the left has systemically ignored men in a lot of ways, right, and I, we don't talk about this enough. We don't have a, a solution to dealing with it. Part of it is, is that um, it's is also touchy to talk about because like men are not the pro- like we should not be focusing on men necessarily, but we absolutely need to be engaging young men politically and figuring out like why is Jordan Peterson's book still on the national bestseller list? Like what what the hell is happening
0: around the world, Nora? Not just here.
1: Exactly. It's wild, right? And so, what? What is the last? Le- the first piece that I wrote for um for the Washington Post uh, argued that Jordan Peterson is doing like uh, what, what Marx was doing in the 1930 labor camps with young men working in remote regions in Canada, right? That's where communism like was set on fire. Young, disaffected men who were sent or who went because they had no other economic option to work in horrid conditions in a remote lumber camp all across Canada. And because those were hotbeds of, of communist organizing, what happened? They had the trek on Ottawa, right? We had communist organizers, got tons of people organized to take a train to Ottawa, uh, there were riots in regina as a result of that the, the winnipeg general strike wasn't too far in people's memory at that at that point that would have only been 15 years or 20 years and today what is it it's like yeah, it's, it's it's jordan peterson <laughs> it's jordan peterson and it's young men in their in their bedrooms so I, like i have a, a lot of hope for um radical young people uh, of of all genders organizing their peers and finding ways online to do that direct message groups through discord through gaming like there's a lot of really progressive ways to reach people but the left is nowhere on this nowhere barely anywhere with young women but they just assume young women are better because they all probably have been sexually assaulted and so we've got to start we can just use that as our hook right and so (laughs) how do we get out of this kind of like um, um, consumer politic frame of organizing is the really big question, right? It isn't about the fact that someone is a young poor person that they're going to be radically uh, radicalized to the left. It isn't the fact that this this bro is a rich hockey player and he's, he's a write-off. That's not how we have to. We have to look at these things in a much more fundamental way and, and a systemic way and, and bring people along where they're at and then radicalize them once they're like like sniffing around the tent and then we're radicalizing
2: them a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, boom, we've got socialism online.
0: Andrea, weigh in what do we do? I
2: mean, I think a big part of it is because we look to political parties for, for, you know, these answers, and we should be looking to movement building. We should be, you know, as Nora said, looking to the history of Black activism, the history of labor politics, the history of feminism, the history of queer and trans early liberation movements. Look to act up, you know, look to how these movements were able to galvanize such a huge constituency, not just in, like, with Take Act Up, not just in New York, but it moved, the movement exploded across the U.S. and into Canada. Uh, we have AIDS Action Now that came out of that. And then eventually that moved into um, other radical movements such as quia most recently uh, a few years ago, which changed the face of pride. Um, and quia led to the Black Lives Matter uh, movement exploding within queer communities, which changed pride again. Um, none of that had anything to do with the NDP. <laughs> none of that had anything to do with, you know, the way political parties, of course it had a lot to do with people who were involved with the NDP because that goes back to movement building. Um, Sherry's activism, you know, was, was informed and, and given energy through the queer movements, not through political parties. That was just the vehicle for which to pass pieces of legislation. And so I think when we talk about, you know, young men, when we talk about young women, um, when we talk about young people, you know, having that moment of indoctrination, do they go right, do they go left, do they go progressive, do they go radical? Um, You know, and I think a lot of it comes back to, you know, frankly, getting people off the internet, getting people off, um, getting people off YouTube. I think Nora's uh, suggestion was, you know, having having things like cooking classes and 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 you know things that people can learn um, that aren't about learning about wh- how Jordan Peterson views trans people. It's just not productive to our society. Um, not sure i have the answer other than just pointing out that this is a situ- this is a terrible situation that we currently have um the fact that jordan peterson's book is still on the bestseller list if is, is 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 a huge insult to to trans to trans women, particularly, but trans people everywhere, that, that their rights and their dignity didn't supersede this uh, in in people's minds. That they, you know, people have a difficult time even grasping, you know, that trans people are humans and and have a right to self determination, have a right to self identity. I think that that speaks pretty loudly about Canadians and and what we value as a society.
0: We just had a Trans Day of Remembrance so this past Friday, and uh, and and books like Peterson's, I mean, it has to be said, these kinds of cultural interventions actually do lead to death. Um, yes. And the death of trans women who have been targeted, uh, and the numbers show that year in year out, uh, not just well, almost you know, it, through all situations. But I mean, certainly you know, our police uh, have been uh, part of that problem as well. Um, uh, and, and I just wanted to like jump in because you know, to your point originally, and, to, and we started off talking about Nora's book, Take Back the Fight. So do want to leave some minutes for her to, to tell you how to buy that. Uh, But um, in 1971, uh, again, Old Sturt um, was part of the We Demand demonstration in Ottawa, and I was the only woman to sign on to it at that point. And uh, when you look at the demands of the We Demand movement for early queer activism in Canada, uh, we have attained every single thing on that list, just about. And we were a handful of 20 crazy people. Like, we, like honestly, there weren't many of us. We pretended we were a hundred. And even, you know, the the first pride picnic on Hanlon's Point, uh, I mean, we said there were a hundred, maybe there were 70, I don't know. I mean, there were not a lot of people and uh, we just kept on keeping keeping on and, and still do like Eric Kinsman and, at Carleton was part of that, you know, he's a, you know, part of the leader behind the We Demand movement and is still one of the leaders behind No Pride in Policing. So there's some of us, you know, who got old but didn't get aged, you know, um, and still, you know, still beat the drum. But just to show you can accomplish a phenomenal amount. You see the effect of Black Lives Matter on the streets and the effect it's had on polling and Canadian, um, you know, mentalities. Like who would have ever thought defund the police would, uh, 61% of Canadians would say, that's fine. We want to do that. Like, so, uh, so again, these movements have incredible, incredible power. Um, so yeah, I, I think I, I think online helps. But yeah, it can never stop there. Like you can't stop with like hacktivism, <laughs> you know, like no. you have to get out and and do something. And I also think you can work. I mean, let, let's put it this way. I don't think there's a natural contradiction between revolution and political parties. Um, I think you can save a few lives in the meantime with some key yep. pieces of legislation. Absolutely. But, um, and I, I, I pr- we're probably all on the same page as that, but that doesn't stop saying, you know, this planet is doomed of capitalism is the only answer. Um, it's kind of both ends. So I just, it, we've only got a few minutes left, uh, Nor tell people how, to, uh, well, we'll start with you, Andrea, and then we'll end with Nor, because I want to hear about, uh, about the book. But um, so what do we take from this? Feminism 2020, final thoughts
2: what do we take from it? I think that, you know, we, we've learned a lot of lessons in 2020. I think we've learned a lot of lessons, particularly about um, how we take care of one another. And we can't depend on a capitalist a neoliberal society to take care of us. So hopefully, you know, with with all the lessons that we've learned with, with, with COVID-19 and with, you know, watching the American disaster fire, you know, unfold, that, you know, we will, over the next decade, start to do this kind of work, this this really difficult work of of building a movement uh, and and learning from from previous movements and learning from one another. Um, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful.
0: Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. I like that. (laughs) You're listening to The Radical Reverend, I should say that, of course, either on podcasts, wherever you get them, and uh, also on CIUT. Yay, CIUT, uh, Alternative Radio, still alive and well in Toronto, so keep it going. And, uh, Nora, we started with you and your book, Take Back the Fight. Um, uh, And so let people know, first of all, uh, why they should buy it and where they can buy it.
1: You should buy it uh, because it will change your life. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like underselling, right? Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> yeah.
1: I, saw, I saw a really wonderful review from a, from a young feminist, and, and I was really targeting the, the book for young feminists, or new feminists, I should say, of any age, if you're new to feminism. I mean, older feminists will get a kick, I think, out of some of the stuff I say, and maybe disagree, hopefully disagree with some of the stuff I say, I don't know. Um, but yeah, if you're a young, if you have a young feminist in your life, uh, or you want someone to read a book that's not Jordan Peterson, you should definitely buy mine. Uh, you can get it directly from the publisher, which is Fernwood Publisher, uh, Fernwood, well, just Google Fernwood Publisher, and, um, but it's available in all bookstores, and so you can get it at your local bookstore as well, uh, you can order it probably from your local bookstore online, and if you really have no other choice, you can get it from the big retailers as well.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you both so much. Uh, we've been speaking here on the Radical Reven show to Nora Loretto about her book, Take Back the Fight. Um, journalist uh, talked about her life online as female and, and Andrea as well. Uh, Andrea Houston, a journalist uh, working uh, on her own stuff these days, but uh, been, been political staffer, um, been journalist as well for Extra and others. Uh, So thank you both so much for being on the show. And till next time, love to hear your take on this out there in listener land. Um, Please, you know, reach me wherever, however, uh, and let me know and let me know your ideas as well, because I always respond. So uh, till next time. And hey, um, sisterhood is powerful. Rock on. Mm